Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of beautiful coastal cities. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about the city of Kobe, which is the capital of Hyogo Prefecture and Japan's third largest port city. Seventh largest city city. It's a pretty big city. Yeah. Uh, it's also a popular city for tourists, which is why we're talking about it today. Perhaps part of the reason why it is so popular is because of its proximity to Kyoto and Osaka. Uh, it's just west of there, not too far away. And it's also well known for being the home of Kobe beef, of course. Perhaps the most famous beef in the world. I feel like that's what it's most well known for. In the U.S., yeah. Yeah, I think like everybody knows what Kobe is because of Kobe beef. Definitely. And, like Its other claim to fame is like being near Osaka. Yeah. You know, it is a large city, of course, in its own right. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize until I did my research just how close to Osaka it is. Like, I thought, oh, it's west of Osaka, but, you know, I'd only gone between those on the Shinkansen, and it's like, well, there's Osaka, and then I think the next stop is Kobe, so it's west of ways, but it's like right there, just down the coast along the Osaka Bay. Yeah. Right? It's all part of the same metropolitan area. You know, they call it this city, that city, this city, but mm -hmm. it's almost like the East Coast in the U.S. where, like, it's just cities running for a long time. And yeah. Part of the Keihanshin metro area, right? Yeah. Isn't that what they call that? Kyoto, Osaka, and Kobe? Yep. Um, I also didn't realize how close you and I had been to Kobe on our trip. We spent some time in Nishinomiya. Yeah. It's like right at the edge of Kobe, basically. Very close, yeah. I was aware of where Kobe was, because Kobe's been on my map, because I took one year of Japanese in high school, and our teacher was from Kobe. Oh, cool. So I, I was aware of the city for quite some time. So Kobe has an interesting geography to it. On the north side is the Roko Mountains, and on the south side is Osaka Bay. So the city proper where everybody lives is a somewhat thin line along the coast. Yeah, it's like a long strip of a city. Yes. But it also means almost everything's really close together. So it's a very walkable city is definitely what I found in my research. Yeah, definitely. Seems like, uh, you know, you can take the train to, I don't know, one of a few stations and then just kind of walk around all day. So yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, it's almost like each attraction like almost leads to the next one. Mm -hmm. So you haven't been to Kobe? I have been through Kobe on a train, but yeah. I've not stopped there. Okay, okay, yeah. I've been very near Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> we probably could see it from some of those uh, hills we were on. Yeah. Um, I found one random fun fact about Kobe. Paul, did you realize that the headquarters of the shoe and sports equipment company Asics is in Kobe? No. Yeah. I didn't know that was a Japanese company even. Yeah. You've heard of the Onitsuka Tiger brand? No. Oh. Well, it's like a, a sub-brand of Asics, and it's oh, popular. They make like these very sleek, comfortable-looking shoes. I've kind of wanted a pair for a while, but I never actually picked one up. Okay. But uh, I'd wondered about that name, Asics, you know? A-S-I-C-S. -S. 
Yeah. Kind of an right. unusual name. Doesn't sound Japanese to yeah. me, at least. Well, don't worry, Paul. I got all the details about that name. Okay. So in Japanese, it's pronounced Ashiksu. Sounds about right. Ashiksu. Ashiksu. Something like that. <laughs> and uh, it's actually an acronym for a Latin phrase. I, I don't know what Latin's supposed to sound like. Anima sana incorpore sano, which means sound mind in a sound body. Okay. I like that. That's a good name for a athletic clothing and shoe brand, right? I think so too. So you mentioned Latin. It just brought this memory back to me. I was on an airplane once and I watched this movie that was a Japanese movie with Japanese actors, but it was about ancient Rome and it was all in Latin. The actors were literally speaking Latin for all their lines and it sounded really good. Like it sounded like they worked really hard on it and they like were pronouncing it really well. Not that I know Latin myself, but interesting. It was kind of a it was kind of a goofy, but kind of a good movie. It was huh. like guy from modern day Japan somehow ended up in Rome and like knew history and became part of it. I can't remember what it was called, but it, it was it was fun. I enjoyed it, hmm. and I couldn't get over that they were speaking Latin, yeah. and then it had English subtitles for me. <laughs> sounds interesting. Definitely sounds worth a watch. So Kobe is considered one of the most attractive cities in Japan. And there's a few areas for sure where I, I can see where that's coming from, but we'll get to that soon. So I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that as we go through the city. Okay. And I have one fun fact about Kobe. Did you know that Kobe's airport is located in the middle of the ocean? I did know on that. An artificial island? The satellite views are pretty impressive. It's just like out there. Yeah. There are a few man-made islands out there. Two of them are like, uh, we'll talk about, you can visit a couple of them. There's like cool stuff to do. And then the airport is on its own little island a little further out than those. Yep. And there's this like one little road, like big bridge connecting it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, Paul, let's talk about history. My favorite part. What you got first? What's the furthest back thing you got? Uh, the Nihon Shoki. Oh, I got stuff before that, Paul. Okay. All right. Well, so let's hear it. <laughs> Tools have been found in Western Kobe that date back to the Jomon period, thousands and thousands of years ago. I believe it. It's nice. Seems like a nice place to live. Yeah, makes sense. It's flat. At least the flat part is flat. You got the ocean right there. You can get around easily on, on, the, on the sea. Okay, you can go ahead with the Nihon Shoki now. <laughs> so the Nihon Shoki, which again is the second oldest book of classical Japanese history, describes the founding of Ikuta Shrine by Empress Jingu in 201 CE in what is now Kobe. Yeah, fun fact, actually, that shrine still exists. It's considered one of the oldest in Japan, and it's related to how Kobe got its name. Yep. Kobe is derived from the word kanbei, which is what they called followers of that shrine way back when. That's cool. Yeah. That is an old shrine, though. 1,800 years. 
in terms of Shinto, like that's a long ways back. Yeah, that's crazy old. Usually we hear about like temples and shrines that are from the 600 and it's like, oh man, those are like the very first ones. And this was four centuries before that. Right. Right. If it's before the Nihon Shoki was written, it's old. Mm-hmm. Although this was also, this is a legend, you know, the Nihon Shoki kind of blends history and myth. So yeah. who knows when the actual founding was. All the oldest history sources kind of seem to do that because history didn't exist yet. Like all they had was stories and myths. Yeah. So they just wrote that stuff down when they started (laughs) recorded history. Mm -hmm. So the area now known as Kobe eventually developed into a port. And in the Nara and Heian periods between the 700s and 1100s, it was known as Owara no Tomari. In 1180, it actually became the capital of Japan for about six months, when Emperor Antoku of the Taira clan took residence there briefly. And Kobe was the site of the Battle of Ichi no Tani in 1184 during the Genpei War, which led to the establishment of the Kamakura Shogunate. It also led me down a two and a half hour rabbit hole of reading all about the Genpei War and... Uh, how the emperor moved there for five months. It's a whole story, and it was fascinating. Yeah, I started going down that rabbit hole, and then I was like, nah. I knew what I was doing, (laughs) and I win anyways. It was great. Well, I skipped forward to the 1200s, where the port became an important hub for trade with China and other countries, and this is when the city became known as Hyogo Port. In the Edo period, the Tokugawa shogunate controlled the center of modern-day Kobe. And, of course, the port was closed to foreign trade until 1868 when the shogunate opened it at the same time as Osaka, just before the Meiji Restoration. Yep. So the city of Kobe was officially founded in 1889, and it became a designated city in 1956. Paul, what what was going on in Kobe during World War II? Uh, Kobe was bombed in the famous Doolittle raid actually in 1942 Kobe mm. was one of the targets I'm sure you know much more about World War II history than I do I haven't spent much time looking into that but I read that uh so they were bombed in 1942 and again in 1945 right yeah and I saw that those bombings destroyed 21 percent of Kobe's urban area and killed almost 9,000 people Yeah, the bombings in 1945 were the nasty incendiary type where they were meant to cause fires and burn down the old wooden cities that Japan had. Okay. You know, I learned in my research that I saw a movie about that specific bombing in 1945, and I did not realize that it took place in Kobe and, well, that that was the bombing that the movie was about. You know what movie I'm talking about? Grave of the Fireflies. Have you seen it? I have, and I came to the same realization you did. I had no idea it was Kobe. Yeah. It was just a city in the movie. I don't even know if they if they said the name. I didn't catch it. Maybe they didn't even say the name. That's a very famous movie. It's an amazing movie. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's a, it's a Studio Ghibli movie, but if you've seen a lot of other Studio Ghibli movies like Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke or whatever... This one's different. Very, very different. The tone is completely 
It's heartbreaking. That's and that's beautiful. Putting it lightly, heartbreak. Yeah. It's like soul crushing. Yeah, it's one of the most horrific things. It was a great movie. I'm not in a hurry to go watch it again. That's what I always hear about that movie. Is people are like, yeah, it's freaking amazing, and I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But man, I I can't recommend this movie highly enough. And even if you're not into like the anime style, I would still recommend it just because the story. And it's based on a true story too. It's based on like a semi-autobiographical novel by a guy that lived through that bombing. It does a really good job of bringing home the horrors of war. Definitely. The horrific stories these people have to live through because other people decided to fight. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't cry at the end of that movie, you're dead inside. I cried. I cried. It's seriously powerful. Yeah, it is. All right, on to the next tragedy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't know how to to transition to this one. I was thinking the exact same thing. (laughs) That wasn't the the last terrible thing to happen in Kobe. So on January 17th, 1995, a massive earthquake hit Kobe. That earthquake is now known as the Great Hanshin Earthquake. Uh, it had a 6.9 magnitude. It killed about 6,500 people, and it made over 200,000 people homeless, which is crazy. Yeah, huge parts of the port facilities and infrastructure of the city were destroyed. It was a devastating earthquake. Mm-hmm. And actually, these days, to commemorate the city's recovery from the earthquake, they hold a festival of lights every December called the Luminary. I heard about that. It looks pretty cool. They decorate the city center with over 200,000 individually hand-painted lights that were donated by the Italian government. Wow. And they close off the streets so people can just flood the streets and look at all the pretty lights. Nice job, Italy. Yeah. Three to five million people attend this event every year. Wow. And, Paul, you looked up pictures of this, right? Doesn't it look crazy like i've seen light shows before but this one is pretty intense like it's crazy it looked pretty cool i didn't even realize until i was doing this research that the port in kobe was the busiest port in japan before the earthquake not anymore it is completely rebuilt i think it's like the fourth busiest now in japan or something like that but that was pretty crazy to me i was like wow everything was coming in and out of kobe that must have really disrupted the whole country too imagine your biggest port in an island nation gets basically destroyed in one morning yeah that would imagine the logistical nightmares that happened after that i bet the supply chain issues rivaled those of the pandemic yeah (laughs) yeah right and now kobe is rebuilt yeah and it's very much like a international city you know since it was one of the first ports to open to foreign trade. Yeah, there's always been a foreign presence in Kobe, or at least for a long time now. Yeah, so we'll get into it, but there's like a lot of, it's a mixing of a lot of different cultures, and you can see the effects of that in the architecture and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, now we know a little bit about Kobe and its history. I think it's time to go tour the city. What do you say? Let's do it. So my first instinct is we get off the train 
I just want to head towards the ocean. Yeah, let's see this famous port, huh? Yeah. So the port area is home to Kobe's Port Tower, which is a very famous landmark. And unlike a lot of other towers in Japan, this one isn't even a communications tower. It's just a sightseeing tower. Like, it was built specifically for sightseeing in 1963. Yeah. It's 108 meters, or 354 feet tall. You can go to the very top and get 360-degree views of the city and the bay. They actually have multiple sightseeing layers up there, and one of them has a, a rotating cafe. It takes 20 minutes to do a full revolution. It reminds me of the Space Needle. You ever been to the Space Needle, Paul? I have, yeah. Did you go to the rotating restaurant or whatever? It's a restaurant at the top. Um, I didn't eat there, so mm. I don't know if I went to the restaurant. I definitely went to the top and had some fun. Yeah. So it's uh, got a unique shape to it. Yeah. The building resembles a Suzumi, which is an elongated traditional Japanese drum. Yeah, we talked about that in our Taiko episode. It's, it's one that has like drum heads on each end of it, and then they're kind of held together. They're tied to each other, basically, with like this rope. And the tower is built so that you can see those ropes like stretching from the top to the bottom. Yeah, it looks really cool. It does. It's also painted in a bright red color that gives a striking appearance. And it's illuminated at night and looks really cool. So no matter what time of day, you can go check it out and enjoy the view. Oh, yeah, it does look really cool at night. It's all like purple and yellow lights. And it says, I think it says Port Tower of Kobe at the top and lights too. So the Port Tower is in Marykin Park, which is a little, little park area by the waterfront there. There's also right in the middle of the park, the Kobe Maritime Museum, which is also a really cool building because the top of it has this big sail, basically. Like they built the top of the building to look like a sail. Hmm. Because it's a maritime museum. Get it? Get it? I do. I guess I do get it. Yeah, it looks really cool, though. And the museum itself looks really cool. The museum explains how the port of Kobe functions and exhibits models of a bunch of ships. Also, some of the history of the port and why it's been so important as a connection between Japan and the outside world. And then there's a whole other half of the museum that's the privately owned Kawasaki Good Times World. Good Times World? Yeah, so Kawasaki Heavy Industries basically uses it as a museum and a showroom to show off all their cool projects. Like Kawasaki Motorcycles. I've heard of them. But they also make Shinkansen trains and jet planes and helicopters. So they've just got all this really cool stuff. And a lot of it's meant to be as interactive as possible. Hmm. So you can like feel these machines. That sounds cool. What is it with giant Japanese companies making like everything, you know? Conglomerates. Yamaha. They make like, don't, aren't there Yamaha motorcycles too? Probably. And they make musical instruments. Yeah, yeah. All sorts of stuff. I guess the old thing, like, that's how we only have, like, a few banks. You know, companies get bigger and they buy each other. And they just keep buying each other until there's just a few really big companies left that do everything. 
I guess. So the area just west of the port tower, basically between JR Kobe Station and the waterfront, that area is called Harborland, which is a popular shopping district that was built on the site of a former freight yard in 1992. Not that old of an area. And you're going to find a bunch of shops, restaurants, cafes. It's supposed to have a really romantic atmosphere at night, too. A great place for a date, perhaps. I've heard that as well. I, I hate to stop and rewind you there, but... What's up? <laughs> I feel like you just dated yourself. Huh. I was built in 1992. That's not that old. <laughs> That's a very perspective thing. You know, 30 I mean? years for a shopping district? That's not that long, right? Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I feel like it all depends on perspective. I think of the 70s as like, oh, that's old, but my parents probably don't. Yeah, that's true, You I know guess. what I mean? Like, oh, I was alive in 92. That's not, I can remember 92. Yeah. That's not that long as ago. As long as it happened in my lifetime, it was not that long ago, okay? <laughs> okay, I, I, I can agree with that logic. That is funny, though. Like, the late 80s, it's like, okay... I mean, that was a while ago, but not super long ago. But the 70s, that was forever ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It depends on what you're talking about, too. 30 years could be a long time for some things and yeah. not a long time for other things. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of cool stuff around the Harborland area. Is a Ferris wheel? There is. I don't know why I like Ferris wheels so much. I you kinda, you I like kinda, Ferris wheels? I just kind of do. You know what? I'm ready to admit it. Do you I go, like Ferris wheels. Do you go up a Ferris wheel every time you see one? No, but I'm often with people. And like, not everybody wants to stop and do the Ferris wheel all the time. Mm. I feel like Ferris wheels are super popular in Japan for some reason. Like you see them all over the place. I've only been on one of the ones that I've seen though in Japan. Okay. And that was on top of a building in Sapporo. Oh, on top of a building. Yeah. I think see, that's, that's what I like about Ferris wheels. They're always in the right spot where you get a really good view of yeah. stuff. Well, that's why I wanted to go on that one specifically because it's like, well, the Ferris wheel is really tall, but on top of a building, you get even more height. So you can see like the entire city from the top of that thing. It's pretty cool. Nice. I remember going on a really big Ferris wheel uh, in Osaka, right on the bay, mm. like right by the aquarium. And it was really cool. Nice. Uh, they also have an Anpanman Museum. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Which is funny because I also remember seeing one of those in Fukuoka when I was there. Really? Yeah. So I looked it up, like how many Anpanman museums are there in Japan? There is one in Yokohama. There's one in Sendai. What? And there's one in Nagoya. Wait, does that mean there's five? Five of them. <laughs> what? He's a really popular character. I knew he was popular, but wow. Yeah. Five museums. <laughs> He's made it. He made it big time. Yeah. Did you see... Gaslight Street? Yeah. That looks pretty cool. There's like this area that looks real. I mean, we, we always talk about those fun, old-fashioned-y type places, right? Yeah. So Gaslight Street is lit up in the evenings by old-fashioned gas street lamps and electrical lights. Mm -hmm. But it's got this old-timey look and feel to it. Nice little, uh, another nice little like date spot, maybe. Definitely. Uh, another old-timey attraction is the Renga Soko, which is a collection of these 
old brick warehouses from the 1800s. They look really cool. And now these warehouses are filled with shops. There's a restaurant. There's an event space in there. And I saw that you're likely to find things like art house cinema showings, wine tastings, and live jazz on the weekends. Live jazz? Yeah. Doesn't that sound cool? We should go with some live jazz, dude. What? Why have we not done that? I don't know. Seriously. We need to find a nice cocktail bar with live jazz. It sounds like a really fun place to hang out. Let's do it. Um, this whole area with the, the warehouses and the Gaslight Street, you're going to see a lot of European-style architecture there, of course, since this was a major port for international trade. You see a lot of that influence in this part of the city. Yep. Uh, there's also this shopping mall inside a skyscraper called Puromena Kobe. Did you see this, Paul? Yeah, I did. I thought that was kind of a cool concept, a shopping mall in a skyscraper. I guess that's not uncommon in Japan. Like, I feel like malls in the U.S. are more sprawling usually, but in Japan, a lot of times, department stores, malls kind of go up and down. Yeah. I mean, I say it depends where you are. I bet there's some in skyscraper malls in New York or something. Probably. Actually, now that I think of it, I was just in San Francisco not long ago, and we were in a mall that was like vertical. Probably any city where you only have so much limited space. Yeah, that makes sense. Out here in the Midwest, we can, <laughs> we can spread out as, as needed. Um, but the one really cool sounding thing I saw about this place is that at the very top, there is a Manual Club hot spring that's open 24 hours a day. Wait, 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 wait. They put a hot spring on top of a skyscraper. On the top of a skyscraper. <laughs> yes. Well, it's got to be at the top so that you can sit in the bath and look out the window out at the city. That seems simultaneously super cool, but also like kind of impractical. Perhaps, but the cool factor outweighs the impracticality. Oh, yeah. They figured it out. They yeah. find a way to make it happen. Now you got me wondering, like, do they pump the water up there from the bottom, like, constantly? Or do they just, like, once a day, bring in a bunch of water and tank. just filter it or something? Yeah, I don't know. Do they heat the water in the basement or do they heat it up there on the roof? A lot of questions. Let's find this engineer that built this place, see if he speaks English, <laughs> get an interview. Anyways. That just sounds like a super cool atmosphere, sitting in a hot spring, looking out over the city. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I've been to rooftop bars, and they're really cool. Yeah. But a hot spring? Even better, dude. Definitely. Having a little floating boat of sake. I was thinking that that's probably dangerous, but to have a bar at the hot spring and get a drink and sit in the hot spring, you're not supposed to do that, but that would be nice. That would be, that'd be, so that'd cool. be pretty cool. <laughs> I'm super relaxed after that hot spring. I'm ready to go shopping. I got just the thing for you, Paul. Let's go just a little bit north of Harborland. We're going to go to the Motomachi District, where you're going to find Motomachi Shopping Street, the leading shopping street in Kobe. Let's do it. This looks pretty cool. This shopping street is about 1.2 kilometers long. It stretches basically the entire distance between Motomachi Station and Kobe Station. And they have around 300 stores. And around 20 of those stores have been there for over 100 years. That's cool. Yeah. I love all the smaller shops. 
And it's another one of those Japanese shopping streets where it's roofed over. So even if it's raining or whatever, you can go get your shopping done. You could spend all day there if you have a rainy day. Let's spend about half the day here. I got some money to blow. Okay. I have some seasonal events as well that happen at this shopping street. They have stuff going on all the time. There's actually a website for this shopping street, and they have a big schedule of all this stuff. What's going on this time of year? Uh, what time of year is it? It's middle of winter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but in July, there's a night market. Night markets are always cool. In October, they have a music week. Nice. There's Halloween stuff going on at the end of October. Nice. I'm sure they have some fun stuff going on right now, too. Yeah. Just got to yeah. check their website. Cool. Cool. So let's say you walked along the shopping street and you popped out right by Motomachi Station. Just south of there is Kobe's Chinatown, which is called Nankinmachi. This area was originally developed by Chinese merchants who settled near Kobe Port after the port was opened to foreign trade in 1868. And as the Chinatown developed, it eventually got its name because Nanjing was the capital of China at the time. Mm -hmm. This isn't a huge Chinatown, but you can find some good shopping and dining there. Yeah, it looked kind of cool. I saw a lot of the food options. They're Chinese, but maybe because they've been there so long, there's like this Japanese twist kind of. It's mm. like Japaneseified Chinese food. I believe so it. So that looked like really interesting to try. Maybe something unique that you can only get there. That would be interesting. Like we only get Americanized Chinese food here. I'm really curious what Japanized... Ja Jap Japanized? That's what I would go with, I think. Yeah. What Japanized Chinese food <laughs> it tastes like. Some of the popular items include manju, which are steamed buns. Yum. Everybody likes steamed buns. Ramen, tapioca drinks. Yum. Boba. Boba to anyone? Love boba. Paul, I had the best boba of my life in Sacramento, actually. You just got my hopes up and then you immediately dashed them you're gonna i thought you were about to say i found this place down the road <laughs> but like no i gotta go to sacramento now you don't even drink boba i would if it was the best boba in the country but it's not vegan uh, yeah it is or some milk of it. tea well you can get it without the milk you can get well tea then it's boba. not the same thing you wouldn't the like tapioca it. part you can get it anyway sure if you just want to chew on some balls i guess that's vegan <laughs> oh, like good tea doesn't exist without milk in it. Well, when I say the best boba of my life, I'm not talking about the actual tapioca balls. I'm talking about the drink that they were in. I mean, they were also the best balls because they were just the perfect texture. I see. I want the best balls. You got to get the best textured balls, you know. They need a little bounce to them. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have liked this drink anyway because it was, uh, it was like Vietnamese coffee. I know you don't like coffee, but it was ube coffee ube is a it's like a purple yam it's a lot like taro okay and i don't know that combination just blew me away and i don't think they make that here at any of the local boba places but man uh, it was amazing i want like some ube tea i'm sure you can find that somewhere or maybe i can just put rice milk in my in my boba tea maybe you can bring a little container of rice milk and be like can you make it with this instead of 
I gotta find somewhere yeah, selling the tapioca balls so that I can make my own recipes and find the perfect vegan boba tea. They have kits on Amazon for boba, but actually, now that I think of it, I think you can get the dried tapioca balls at like Asian markets too. Really? Yeah. You rehydrate them? Yeah, you just like have to boil them for a few minutes or something. I think. I got. I should try that. Yeah. I'm all full now. That was really good, Manju. Uh, yeah. I'm ready for some sightseeing. I heard this was a beautiful city. We already saw the the port tower, which was pretty pristine looking. Mm-hmm. Well, let's check out that super old shrine, the Ikuta Shrine. Okay, so that's just north from Motomachi Station a bit. So like I said, this is one of the oldest shrines in the country. The city basically sprung up around this shrine. And the kami enshrined here is Wakahirume no Mikoto, the goddess of fabric. That's a cool goddess. Yeah. I like nice fabric. But the focus isn't so much on the fabric as much as it is on love and relationships. And there's a reason for that. So people pray to this kami for luck and love because she can bring two people's lives together in the same way that threads are intertwined to make fabric. Makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah, that does make sense. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. So this shrine is supposed to be a power spot for love. Power spot, I like that. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to see a lot of the same stuff you see at other shrines. You're going to see those red tori gates. You can get your omikuji, your fortune. You could buy some protective charms. And it's a nice looking shrine, right, Paul? Yeah. I heard there's a little pond that's kind of tucked away and easy to miss if you don't look for it that has ducks and koi in it and is worth a look. It's supposed to be beautiful. Nice. That must be at the back of the shrine compound. I saw there's this forest that's supposed to be a healing spot. Nice. It looks very relaxing. They have like gazebos back there that you can just hang out in and listen to the birds chirping. But the coolest part, Paul, is. The water fortunes. Water fortune? You didn't hear about this? What's a water fortune? Let me tell you. This is crazy. I love it. So you go to the shrine office. You buy a sheet of paper for 300 yen. But it's a blank piece of paper. Like There's no writing on there. But then you take it to this stream in that magical forest. You put the paper in the stream. And your fortune magically appears on the paper. Oh, it's magic. Isn't that cool? That is cool. So we saw some old architecture in the port area, but if you want to see more old Western-style architecture, if you keep heading north a bit from the shrine, you're going to end up in Kitanocho, which is where merchants and diplomats from the 18 to early 1900s built their mansions. Yeah, there's more than a dozen former mansions that remain. I think they're still mansions, Paul. They don't, like, shrink over time or anything. Well, do they count as a mansion if people don't live there anymore? Sure. Isn't a mansion just a giant house? Could it be a mansion and a museum or at the is same it, time? Is, does it not count as a house if it's not inhabited? I don't know. Uh, unclear. Unclear. But, okay. Uh, 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 buildings that look like mansions. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bunch of large buildings <laughs> that still remain in the area. Um, and a lot of them sell tickets 
where you can go inside and tour like, ah, oh, this is what it looked like. Some of them are really cool. And they look really well preserved. Like they look, I mean, they look like people still live there. Yeah. Cause these were people from all over the world. Like, oh, here's a diplomat from Italy or something. And then some adventurer from Britain had this house here. There's the stuffed bear that he killed or whatever, <laughs> you know, like they all have all these stories and history involved. Yeah. And they just look super cool. Yeah. That whole part of the city, like it's not like anything else you're going to see in Japanese cities. It's got all this Western stuff, but older Western stuff, you know, from the 1800s. Yeah. This is another part of the city that I saw is really good for dates because, you know, that whole area is full of cafes, restaurants, boutiques. Yeah. It's got a charming style to it. Yeah. Great atmosphere. I feel like we've gone to all these date spots today, Jason. <laughs> Trying to say something, Paul? I guess Kobe's a romantic place. You want to hold hands? Uh, I think we're already holding hands. Oh, when did that happen? I didn't uh, even notice. I, I was sneaky. Blushing. <laughs> all right, so next time I'm in Japan, I need to stop in Osaka, try to find a date, and then go to Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Hey, date, want to get on a train and come to Kobe with me? Be romantic. Everyone knows Kobe's romantic, right? (laughs) So, so far, everything we've talked about is pretty walkable. Kobe's a decently walkable city. Absolutely. But if you're tired of walking and you want somewhere to just hang out and relax, you might want to take a train up to Arima Onsen which is one of Japan's most famous hot spring resorts. Yeah, it's technically in the city limits, but it's over the mountains, kind of, like past the highest peaks of the mountains on the other side. Yeah, it's its own little thing nestled in there on the mountain. But it's, it's not like hard to get there or anything. You can get there in less than an hour by train. Yeah, yeah. So this area isn't super big, so once you're there, you can explore all of Arima Onsen on foot. You could go check out several of the hot spring sources. They have temples and shrines up there. There's even a hot spring museum. Yeah, that looked cool. There's two types of hot spring water offered in the town. One is kinsen, which is gold water, which is brown-colored water that has iron deposits in it. And it's said to be good for skin ailments and muscle pain. So the other water is the clear ginseng, silver water, which contains radium and carbonate and is said to cure various muscle and joint ailments. Wonderful radium. I know we hear about these like hot springs. I'm like, some of these things, I'm like, radium? I always thought that was something I wanted to stay away from. Mm -hmm. But maybe in small amounts. Sure. Uh, So not only is this one of Japan's most famous hot spring resorts. It also is one of the oldest, dating back over a thousand years. That's crazy. There's several ryokan if you want to stay overnight, but there's also public bathhouses that you can do for just a quick dip. Yeah, if you're just there for the day, you can still hang out in the hot springs a bit. There's also a park nearby that has thousands of maple trees. Thousands of thousands. That looked pretty cool. And nice historical note that park was a famous spot enjoyed by Toyotome Hideyoshi. Nice. Yeah, major figure of Japanese history. Definitely. Those Japanese maple trees are amazing too. I think I've mentioned before when I was at Miyajima, 
They have a park that's full of those maple trees. And in the fall, they just turn the brightest red. I was just thinking about going there in fall. Like it would be stunning. Yeah. All right. I am refreshed. I'm so energetic. I'm ready to go like climb a mountain or something. I got just the mountain for you, Paul. Let's check out Mount Rocco. This is, uh, what, didn't you just mention this? This is the one between Arima Onsen and Kobe's city center. Yep. So uh, it's big. It's 931 meters tall. That's 3,054 feet. And we were just talking about those incredible fall colors. This whole mountain is famous for those. So if you're into hiking, this would be a great place for it. Yeah, absolutely. Great views of the city. Mm-hmm. There are also some other interesting attractions on the mountain. There's a botanical garden. There's a music box museum. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah. I think the place I want to check out the most, though, is Rokosan Pasture. It's a public pasture farm where you can just hang out with sheep while they're grazing on these rolling hills. It just looks really idyllic and peaceful. It's just a pasture on a mountain. You know what I learned recently? What? Never turn your back on a sheep. Really? They're sneaky? They'll, they'll headbutt you. They're always looking to headbutt people. They always seem so docile. Until you turn your back. Hmm. And then they smash you. I was watching YouTube videos. There's a whole bunch of YouTube videos of people getting messed up by sheep. Really? Really. I mean, they don't even have horns. Why would they be headbutting people? Bam! I don't know. Instinct. Hmm. I guess that's why you need a, a sheep dog. You yeah, don't, you don't go out there rounding them up on your own because if they get behind you, they'll mess you up. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's why shepherds carry those long staffs. They, they whack the sheep with them and wave <laughs> it around to keep them away. Huh. Oh, wait, now that I think of it, isn't there some like viral video where some shepherd is like walking across the street and then one of the sheep just plows into him? And like yeah. knocks them down and then they try to get up and they get whacked again by every the time, Every time they turn their head, the sheep immediately comes back. And the last one, the video cuts out right when they get hit like super hard. Like I, I hope they ended up being okay. Okay, yeah. But yeah, I saw that. I video. guess I totally forgot about that, but yeah, that was pretty brutal. Turn their back for like a second and just boom. Jerks. <laughs> Japan's oldest golf course. Is also up in this mountain. Yeah, I saw a few golf courses up there. It seems like a cool place to play golf on a mountain. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I remember golf being like $300 a round or something in Japan. So I don't know if I'll be partaking. But. Is that all of them? Like, I know one of these places is like a fancy country club type thing. I don't know if that's all of them, but land's so expensive. Golf takes so much land. Mm. Like, Japan's only got so many flat places you could put a golf course. Makes sense. I bet those golf courses were set up by all those foreign merchants, you know? Yeah, yeah, probably. That's probably why it's there. So you can actually take a cable car up to the top. Did we mention that? No. And there's another cable car that goes down to the onsen. I did see that one, yeah. Yeah. So you can like take a cable car, and then I think you might have to take a short bus, and then you can take the other cable car, or you take a hike. I couldn't find anyone who'd actually like done that and described how it worked. Hmm. But that'd be an interesting way to get there. It would take longer, but you get to see all that cool stuff on the way. Yeah. 
So there's another mountain up there, just southwest of Mount Rocco, called Mount Maya, which also has a cable car and a ropeway that can get you from the base to the peak. So maybe climb one of them and then use the cable car on the other one. Or maybe just, you know, if you're in a crunch for time, take the cable car to get to both of them. Yeah. Mount Maya, I would choose for the hike. Like this one looked really cool. There's also a road that goes up there if you're not interested in hiking. But yeah, hiking would be awesome. And the night view from the top is one of the top three night views in Japan, Paul. (laughs) More top threes, baby. It has to show up in every episode. There's got to be a top three now. Yeah, it's a requirement. (laughs) The other two cities in the top three are Hakodate and Nagasaki. By the way, I I feel like we mentioned this when we talked about Nagasaki. We may have. Oh, the hiking trail? That starts just north of Shin Kobe Station, and I saw that it also takes you past four impressive waterfalls. Yeah, tons of cool stuff to view as you hike up. If you're not sick of temples yet, there's a temple up there too called Tenjoji, which dates back to the 7th century, and I thought it had an interesting origin story. What's that? There was a monk that went to India and brought back a statue of Maya, which is Buddha's mom. Ah, that's how the mountain got its name. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. There's the Nunobiki Herb Garden, which is the halfway stop on the ropeway. Supposed to be one of Japan's largest herb gardens with hundreds of herb species and many seasonal flowers. Hmm. So it'd be nice to like walk through that on your way up the mountain. Yeah. So what, what defines an herb? Are those all edible? I'm not sure about the exact definition, but I feel like it does have to be edible. But plants are classified in so many ways. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, I'm wondering, like, I want to taste these herbs, you know? If I'm wandering through an herb garden. I bet you get tons of great smells. Yeah. You know, I walk past a patch of rosemary or something and get a whiff of it. That sounds pretty cool. There's also a glass house there where they grow fruits like papayas that they probably couldn't otherwise grow. A glass house, like a greenhouse? Yeah, it's a greenhouse, but it's all glass. When you said glass house, my mind went to like, are people throwing rocks (laughs) or something? (laughs) What is that saying? Don't throw rocks if you live live in a glass glass house. house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. I like it. It's a good saying. It's used a lot, but it's applicable a lot because a lot of people like throwing rocks. There's a lot of rock throwing lately. That's for sure. Did you hear about the Rose Symphony Garden? Nope. You can enjoy viewing a variety of roses while listening to music. So they play music in this garden. What kind of music? I think I feel like it all depends on the music. I I think it varies a little bit, but I imagine like a lot of like classical. That's what I imagine too. I want to go to a rose garden where they're playing heavy metal music, just blasting it, you know? I'd enjoy that. Just scream at some roses. Well, now that we checked out a couple mountains, let's go back to the water. I'm missing water. Okay. And I want to check out those man-made islands that we mentioned at the beginning. They look pretty cool. So there are two man-made islands out there. One is called Port Island. One is called Roko Island. And they're not like super far out in the bay. They're both connected by train lines and roads. So they're real easy to get to. Let's talk about Port Island. It's not too far from that port tower that we talked about. 
and it's got a bunch of interesting stuff on it. They got hotels, they got a convention center, they got Japan's third IKEA store. Yeah, I saw that. Which is also the largest IKEA store in the country. Okay. There are parks. What interested me the most is the UCC Coffee Museum. I saw that. Paul, you said you like the smell of coffee, even if you don't like the taste, right? Yeah. I was actually just grinding up coffee for someone today, and it smelled good. Okay. Would you check out this museum with me? Yeah. Because I bet it smells amazing in there. I just hope no one would get offended if I didn't sample. Yeah. But yeah, I I mean, I love history. I I think the history of coffee is fascinating, even if I don't like the drink. All right. So yeah, that seems like a cool place if you're a fan of coffee or if you specifically have tried UCC coffee, you can find that stuff in cans and vending machines across the country. One thing that stuck out to me about Port Island is how long it took to build. There were two phases, one between 1966 and 1980, and then another one between 1987 and 2009. Wow. So they've done a lot of work. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, just a block from the coffee museum is the Kobe Science Museum. They have a planetarium there. That sounds pretty cool. Always love a planetarium. Also on the island is Kobe Animal Kingdom. And I know we've talked about our mixed feelings with zoos and those types of places, but they have a lot of pretty cool animals here. And you can get close up and personal with them. And they have like exotic animals. They have capybaras, red pandas, which are adorable lemurs, sloths, toucans, kangaroos, camels, an anteater, I saw even. And you can actually feed most of the animals. Wow. Okay. That's different. Most of the place is indoors, but there's also an outdoor section. And like, since you can feed most of them, I saw it described as more like a giant animal cafe than a zoo. (laughs) They even have a shoe bill there. Paul, have you ever seen a shoe bill? No. Dude, let me show you this thing. All right. Is this not the creepiest looking bird you've ever seen in your life? I mean, that's definitely a mean mug. Like he he looks like he means business. Almost like when he's got his wings spread, he looks like a skeleton bird. They look like dinosaurs to me. Like they just look so prehistoric. Yeah, I can see that. Like, that's what the dinosaurs became. Yeah. Let me find you a video real quick, because they just look and sound terrifying. Like, sounds like gunshots. Yeah. It's got this massive, crazy, shoe-shaped bill. Yeah, its bill's, like, way too big for its body. Yeah. And its eyes look disturbingly human somehow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Those things are weird. Shoe bill. Look it up, everybody. It'll blow your mind. Okay, the other island, which is east of Poor Island, is Roko Island. And this one, I thought, was set up in a really interesting way. Because in the middle of the island, there's like this big square that's kind of the residential area of the island. And I don't mean a square like a city square i mean like a literal the shape of it is a perfect square and all the residential stuff is inside that and then it's surrounded by this green belt like a a giant strip of park kind of that goes around it and then the rest of the island outside of that is all industrial port 
type stuff. Yeah. I'm mildly into like city planning and they look really cool. Look like a really good idea. I think it'd be a pleasant place to live. Yeah. If you lived in the residential area and then you just had to go right outside that to get to your job at the port or whatever. Yeah. Pretty convenient. Yeah. There's two international schools on the island, so you'll see a lot of foreigners walking around there. So I got to talk about how this island was built too. Okay. Because this is crazy. They took mountains northwest of the city and they just took rock and dirt from the top of these mountains, put it through a 10-mile-long underground conveyor belt that they built. What? That brought that dirt and rock from the mountain to the bay, which they then loaded onto barges, which they then brought out into the bay and dumped it all. That's crazy. So they they basically chopped down a mountain and made an island in the bay. Who thinks of that? People that don't have enough land, I would assume. (laughs) I guess. But that's pretty crazy. That's crazy that like, I mean, Kobe is surrounded by a bunch of mountains, you know, and it's like, okay, I guess it's easier to chop down a mountain and stick it in the bay than it is to just put stuff on the mountain. Yeah, I guess. Weird. Or they thought it was more cool. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This will be really impressive. Somebody's going to talk about this on a podcast someday, how cool it was that we built this island this way. Artificial islands are all the rage right now, guys. We need to get in. I found a couple of cool museums on this island. Okay. One of them is the Kobe Fashion Museum. Nice. And I, I don't know. I mean, fashion, maybe it takes a certain type of person to be into that kind of museum. But even if you're not into it, I thought it looked really interesting because for one thing, the building is crazy. It looks like a giant spaceship. Okay. I dig that. And they have displays about fashion from different time periods. Like it's not fashion like modern fashion it's like fashion throughout the years that's my favorite type of fashion exhibit to like see how everything evolves yeah it's just really interesting to see how people dressed a couple hundred years ago despite how i look i'm moderately into fashion i believe it (laughs) (laughs) i even saw this giant Evangelion statue at this museum for what? some reason. That's not, awesome. Maybe anime fashion is worth talking about there. I don't know. Sure. Uh, the other, me- oh, last thing about that is uh, CNN shows this museum is one of the top 10 museums in the world, actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I would definitely check it out. Okay. Um, the other museum I saw is the Kobe City Koiso Memorial Museum of Art. And this place commemorates artist Ryohei Koiso and his art. He was an artist that was active in the mid-1900s. He's considered one of the masters of Japanese Western-style painting. Okay, that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about some food, Paul? We should, yes. Why don't you talk about Kobe beef a little bit? Okay, drop, I would love drop to. some knowledge on us. No problem. I know you have a little bit of intimate experience with this uh, beef in your life. Quite intimate. It's actually been inside me <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've talked about Kobe beef before, so I won't spend a huge amount of time on it. But Kobe beef is some of the best beef in the world. It is from the Tajima strain of Japanese black cattle. 
And to be called Kobe beef, there are requirements. It has to be raised in Hyogo Prefecture according to a set of rules that were set by the Kobe Beef Marketing and Distribution Promotion Association. So one of these rules has to do with marbling. Marbling refers to how the fat is dispersed throughout the piece of meat, basically. And there's actually a scale called the BMS, the Beef Marble Standard. And to be called Kobe beef, a piece of beef has to be at least level six on that scale. And like the fat is just so evenly distributed throughout this piece of meat that it just melts in your mouth. Like it's insane. If you see a piece of raw Kobe beef, it looks unlike any other steak you've ever seen because it's just so perfectly marbled. Like there are no parts of it that are just solid red. It's all pink and white and amazing. I'll post some pictures on Instagram. Uh, Also, only about 3,000 head of cattle are certified each year as Kobe beef. 3,000 cows a year, Paul. Limited supply right there. Yeah, that's not a lot of cows, especially when people around the world want to get their hands on this stuff. So that's why real Kobe beef is pretty expensive generally. In the U.S., you will find places advertising that they sell Kobe beef, but you need to be really careful if you're buying Kobe beef outside of Japan because, at least in the U.S., that term Kobe beef is not regulated. Like If somebody's trying to sell you Kobe beef, they could either be lying to you, they could be bending the truth, or maybe they don't even know for sure where this beef came from exactly. A lot of times, Japanese cows are crossbred with American cattle, but then they still sell it as Japanese beef. You never know. So uh, if you want to get real Kobe beef, Japan is the place to do that. Especially, of course, in Kobe, you can find a ton of restaurants that sell Kobe beef, that specialize in Kobe beef. You can be totally sure that it's the real thing. So if you like meat, if you like steaks, and you're in Kobe, go to one of these restaurants. I guarantee it'll be one of the best and most memorable meals of your life. Now, I personally have not been to any restaurants in Kobe, of course. Uh, We said that neither of us have been to Kobe, but I have some saved on my Google Maps. And one that I think looks really good is called Kokubu Steakhouse. I looked at reviews, and it has great reviews from both foreigners and Japanese people. And the chef is apparently fluent in English, so you can talk to them about the beef and they can teach you a thing or two, maybe. I feel like when you're looking for a good restaurant in a foreign country, when you're looking at reviews, it's a bad sign if they're all from foreigners, you know what I mean? Yeah. You gotta make sure the locals, like, they know what they're talking about. You gotta make sure they like the restaurant, too. So this seemed like a good pick. But, of course, that's just one restaurant. There are a ton of Kobe beef restaurants in Kobe. I'm sure they're all great. Just check out the reviews. And if you're really serious about it, it might be a good idea to make a reservation in advance. Did I say I wasn't going to talk about Kobe beef for very long? Was that a lot? I I was just going to say like, uh, Kobe beef, I'll make this brief 30 minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) What, 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 What kind of food do you want to talk about, Paul? Sake. Okay. Let's talk about sake. So sake is another thing uh, Kobe is famous for producing. Check out episode 91 for all the details about sake. There are many sake breweries that operate in the Nada district of Kobe. 
Japan's top sake-producing region. Yeah. Uh, it's got good distribution. You make it right there, and then from the port, you can ship it anywhere. Yeah. There's also good water sources, high availability of quality rice. So it's just kind of the perfect storm of everything making this the place to brew sake. Yeah. So you can walk along in the sake district, and there's a bunch of different breweries. A lot of them will let you try some samples. Some of them have museums. A couple of them even have like English displays that uh, look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I'd definitely worth a jaunt down sake street, definitely. so to speak. If you only have time to check out one place, I would check out the Hakutsuru Sake Brewery Museum. I saw it comes highly recommended. And Hakusudu is actually the brand that made the sake that, Paul, you and I enjoyed the most when we did our sake tasting for the sake episode. Nice. And this is one museum where everything is in English as well as Japanese, so that'd be good for English-speaking people. Nice. But if you're really into sake, I mean, you could really spend a lot of time in this district jumping from one brewery to another. You could spend all day doing sake tastings. That sounds like a pretty good day. You could definitely make a day out of it. Drink responsibly. I'm thinking like three days in Kobe. Yeah. The see the city day, and then you hit the onsen, and then the climb the mountain and do the islands day, and then the sake day. I really hope that I can do a month in Japan once we're able to go to Japan again. Like, I want to take a, a full month off of work and just go all over the place. Three days per city, I could see 10 cities in Japan. That sounds so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, another place in this Nara district that caught my eye is called Kobe Konan Mukonosato. What's that? So this one doesn't focus so much on sake. It's more about foods that are made from sake lees which are the solids that get filtered out when you make sake. Okay. You can do all sorts of stuff with these sake lees. So one thing they make with those are pickles. You Sounds Sake good. pickles. Okay. There's a little museum there that showcases all the different types of pickles and how they're made and stuff. And they also have restaurants and a shop there that sell a ton of different types of food that are supposed to pair well with sake. Okay. So maybe go to the shop there, pick up a bunch of snacks that pair well with sake, bring those along with you on your little sake adventure throughout the day. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of stuff, a lot of cool things that you can do in Kobe. So let's talk about how you can get to and around Kobe if you're interested in doing that. Yeah, if we're talking about getting to Kobe, I think we already mentioned it's a stop on the Shinkansen, mm-hmm. just past Osaka. Yep, it's connected to all other major cities by bullet train, so you can get there in about two and a half to three hours from Tokyo. Not that bad. No. I also mentioned there's an airport. It's a domestic airport, but you can get to it from basically any major airport inside of Japan. So you're talking about Kobe Airport, the one on the island, right? Yes. But there's actually another nearby domestic airport, Itami Airport, is also known as Osaka International Airport, Mm -hmm. which is ironic because it's actually not 
an international airport. They only do domestic flights. I assume it was international at some point? Right. Uh, all the international traffic was moved to Kansai International Airport in 1994. Okay. So since 94, it's been a domestic airport. And they just decided not to rename it. Yeah. So Itami Airport, the domestic one, is just northwest of Osaka. The international one, Kansai International, is also in Osaka Bay, actually, like the Kobe Airport. It's just kind of on the other side of the bay. Yeah. And that's the closest international airport to Kobe. And you can actually get from there across the bay to Kobe Airport in about 30 minutes by high-speed ferry. Nice. High-speed ferry. That's not something you hear every day. There are a lot of those in Japan. That's cool. I've been on those two various islands. This isn't a sightseeing ferry. (laughs) Like, we're we're getting there. Yeah. There's an overnight bus from Tokyo as well. Another option. And then you don't have to pay for a hotel, right? You just sleep on the bus, right? That's a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I did on the way to Hokkaido. It works. May not be the most comfortable sleep you've ever had, but... Yeah. Once you're in the city, there are a few train lines and buses, but like we mentioned, it's pretty walkable too. Like, I don't know if I'd be taking too many trains. Yeah. Unless you're going to the onsen. Yeah. I'd recommend getting an IC card though. I mean, if really anytime you're in Japan, you should have an IC card, which is one of those cards that you can load money on and it just makes taking the train so much easier. You just tap that on the pad when you're going into the station. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I think that's all I got, Paul. Same here. All right. Well, like I said, I'll post some pictures on Instagram of Kobe beef and uh, I don't know, whatever else I can find that seems relevant to this episode. We are at SGP Podcast on Instagram. You can also find all the same posts on Facebook if you're more of a Facebook person. Facebook.com slash Sightseeing Japan Podcast. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, it would help us out a ton if you could leave a review wherever it is you're listening to this. It really helps us uh, get the podcast out there, helps other people find it that are interested in Japan. Paul, what are we talking about next time? Our next episode is about dogs in Japan. Nice. Dogs are cool. I like dogs. Yeah. The Shiba Inu, a Japanese breed, is my favorite breed of dog. Yep. Yep. They're pretty adorbs. (laughs) Wow, you just said that. Okay. (laughs) What's wrong with adorbs? I don't know if I've heard anyone say that in a long time. (laughs) What is that, a 90s thing? Maybe. 2000s thing? It's like, you know, like a... 1998 12-year-old girl thing, maybe. I don't know. Sorry, I'm not trying to gender shame here. My bad. I'm not shamed. I don't feel shamed. I have no shame. You've got that cool teenager lingo, bro. (laughs) Nice. Respect. I don't know. You know, I feel like there are a lot of things that I say sometimes where it's like, I'm sort of saying it ironically, like I'm almost making fun of the people that use it you know, genuinely. Yeah, well, maybe then, everybody's doing that, though, and nobody's actually genuine. Well, that's the thing. Like, I realized at some point that maybe, I don't know, maybe there are just so many layers to it. Like, it gets so meta that it's like, I'm not sure what it is anymore. Like, is it Maybe is it just it sincere? takes time. Because, it- like, you know, I've probably called you bro on the podcast like 150 times, right? Mm-hmm. When I started saying bro when I was like 19 or 20, I said it as a joke. 
because back then it was like the whole frat boy thing. Hey, yeah. bro, bro. You know, so I was like, I started calling my friends bro as a joke, like, haha, we're not like the frat boy type. And now it's just become such a normal part of now. I'm even just like, hey, brah, brah, bro. What's up? Like, I've become that person that I was originally making fun of. Exactly. It's weird how that happens. You know, I say like totes, adorbs. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, those are stupid words to say. You catch yourself saying totes and you're like, I used to say that ironically, but I 100% meant it right there. <laughs> weird. <laughs> then you get the moment where you get like too comfortable with words and your boss is like, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, totes, bro. And then you're like, wait, what did I just say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Anyway, what are we... Dogs. We're talking yeah, about we're dogs. Yeah, we're talking about dogs next time. It's going to be fun. Because they're adorbs. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, bros. Catch you next time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. See you next time.